Good Monday morning, and welcome to another episode of the podcast, Insanity, A Peace of Mind. I am your host, Stephanie. Okay, we're on episode 68, and I'm going to do a couple things today. And before I get started there, I'm going to ask for more support and help and pander for reviews and sending it to people who you might think it benefits and just generally trying to spread the word and get it out there. And the reason I'm doing this again this week is because I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to a handful of podcasts and all podcasters beg for reviews. So I figure I can do it too. But more to the point, what I have noticed is as I have listened to other people's podcasts, I have decided that for the most part, I think mine is as good as other people's, which means I can genuinely and honestly say that I believe mine has value that extends broadly if it gets more listenership, if that's a word. So if you're able, take some time, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and I would appreciate it greatly. All right. So the first thing I'm going to do this week is answer a question about making friends as an adult. And I hear all the time how hard this is. I hear it from my family. I hear it from clients. I hear it from people. It's just a universal problem. Okay. And the interesting thing about making friends as an adult, uh, well, interesting, or maybe one of the biggest hindrances is really our time. I mean, we're moms, dads, workers, you know, we have jobs, we have hobbies, we have kids, all kinds of things. And we find ourselves really struggling with time and then deciding that friendship is an important part of our life. So, and some people may be better at it than others. I, you know, it, it all depends. And like just about everything I ever talk about, there are, this is all on a spectrum. There are people who have varying degrees of investment, interest, desire, need, that kind of thing. But as a whole, human beings are a social animal, and we do crave, to some extent, community and connection. So the first thing about adult friendships is you're not alone. It is really, really common to experience, to experience difficulty in making friends. And so you might sit home and think you're the only one because when you observe generally, you see other people who you think have friends, or you might know people who do have friends. And so you think you're the only one. Well, you're actually not. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, is when you were younger and were struggling with friendships, you probably had people talking to you about it. You had your, maybe your mom or your dad or, you know, someone you respected, a teacher or some kind of adult in your life telling you, and helping and supporting you and talking about how to make friendships. And it was about certain development stages and 
all kinds of things. And as you get older, the presumption is, is that nobody needs to talk about it because you already know how to make friends. And that's not always true. So the more that we recognize that talking about our lack of friendships, it helps reduce that isolation that you feel like you're the only one, or maybe even, I don't know, shame's a pretty big word, but maybe you feel ashamed that you don't feel like you know how to make friends or that you don't have any or that the ones you had, you don't have any more, whatever. You might have a lot of feelings about it. But talking about it provides a pathway for closer relationships, i.e. friendships. And that kind of helps build and sustain connection. Okay, another... Okay, so let's get into how actually to make friends. And observationally speaking, I notice that the more my kids engage in things outside of the house or outside of their houses with other people, the more connections they make. Okay. And the more connections they make, the more opportunity they have to connect with someone who resonates with them. So you may be invited out to dinner with someone, with a group of people by someone you don't really like. But to say no to that invitation because you don't like that person means you are shutting yourself off from potentially meeting someone else who is at that dinner who you might like. This goes for couples as well as individuals. This goes for families as well as couples and individuals. You can have a lots of different opportunities if you're willing to get out there. And so basically this is either getting set up for increasing your opportunity to make real genuine connections or this is setting yourself up. So you use your existing social networks whether those are friends or coworkers or even relatives to get connected with people you might not know. So much like being set up on a blind date, why not be set up on a blind friendship or engage in opportunities where that actually could happen? Another thing that I think might get overlooked is, especially if you're working, you're working and you have coworkers, and sometimes we just relegate our coworkers into the category of coworker, or we're involved in religious communities and we relegate our peers in our communities as just that group of people, and we don't view them as potential friends. And so looking at that idea and looking at those people are there people in those areas who could be something more than just an acquaintance? And so if that's the case, then there's work to be done. So you recognize that there's someone in your place of work who you think you could actually connect with, and then you need to sort of put your feelers out or invest in some conversation to find out what your interests are. Do you have a shared hobby? Is there something you can bond over? And it doesn't have to be about work because you're trying to take them out of that, oh, this is my coworker and therefore not my friend. 
And so gradually and gently opening up about different parts of your life can help deepen a connection with someone who right now is just an acquaintance. And so that is a potential way of increasing the pool of people who could be more, uh, who could be a more meaningful friend in your life. And take this takes some creativity too. You might want to invite a coworker one-on-one to lunch as you're getting ready to go grab a sandwich or something. So think about things you can do in the areas that you are already associating with, associating in. Okay, another one, and I know that I know there are people who do this, and this is using social media to your advantage to uh, meet people. And there are friendship apps, there are groups, there are places. Uh, okay, so there are, I'm trying to think what they're called. There's one called Bumble for best friends. So it's Bumble BFF. There's one called Peanut. There are Facebook groups where you can type in a demographic, you can type in a hobby, you can type in all kinds of different filters to find people in, you can in your area. You can do it by by geography. If in-person friendships are important to you, geography is one of the filters that you would use. If just trying to connect with people who have similar interests as you do and doing some sort of online friendships, you can do it in a broader, you know, diverse geographic area. But use these apps. Meetup is one and they are, they're not, they shouldn't even be relegated to your last ditch effort. If you're looking for friendship, in today's world, they're as accessible and, va- and, va- and as valuable a way to find relationships as anything else. We are coming out of a pandemic, but there are still people who are nervous about socialization. And so you are still looking at people who are isolating, at least to some degree. So these are good ways to reach out and find other communities. All of this gets really hard and gets really tedious. And given parenting and employment and marriages and relationships and hobbies and all of the things that you're trying to do, you can easily let any of these things go by the wayside. And you shouldn't. Feelings of insecurity, feeling super awkward, thinking that you're pathetic because this is how you've finally, this is what you finally had to stoop to to make friends. I want you to shut all that down because what you're going to do at this point is remind yourself why you're doing this and normalize the anxiety and the awkwardness that comes with it because it is all part of the process. Just because you were once eight years old and friendship seemed to come naturally to you does not mean that at 18 or 28 that is still the case. So how important is connection and community really? Because if it's important, then you're going to just push through the uncomfortable feelings of having to find friends this new way. 
So keep reminding yourself why you're doing it. If you have some support at home, have your significant others or your parents or your siblings also help remind you why you're doing it. Um, okay. The other thing is, I don't know, I don't know too terribly many people who need 20 friends. And that doesn't mean you won't have 20 friends, but in this instance, we're looking for quality over quantity. What you really want is someone you connect with, someone who fills you, who helps bring the best out, who is trustworthy, who has integrity, who respects you and your time. And so given how exhausting it is to make and find and have friendships, there is no good reason to have more than you can adequately invest in. And you are not able, as because nobody is able, to give your whole self to every single connection or relationship. So you're not looking for quantity, you're looking for quality. Which means that there are times when you will connect with someone, you will have made all the effort, you would have reached out to a coworker or another acquaintance to try and deepen a connection. Six months may go by and you may begin to realize that this is not what you were hoping it would be. If that is the case, it is okay to let go. You do not have to stay invested in a relationship that is not meeting its intended needs. So this doesn't mean you're dumping people right and left. This is not about ghosting. This is not about bad behavior or anything like that. This is just generally and genuinely about not all people are for all are for all people. We have we may not connect with someone we thought we were going to. So it is okay to let those relationships and those connections go. And it's okay to normalize that it's okay. You don't have to be ashamed or embarrassed or anything else. It's just okay. So those are my tips and trip tips and tricks for making friends as an adult. And I would love to hear how this works for you. I would love to hear what some of your obstacles might be. I would love to hear about the successes and even the failures. And I would love to have this idea of adult friendships and the lack of them and the insecurities we have around pursuing them to be part of a regular conversation. It's scary. We're busy. It's hard. It has to be worth it in order to invest because in order to get something, you have to give something up. And so there is sacrifice and it is important to be clear on what you're willing to sacrifice and why you are willing to sacrifice it. So good luck all in this new endeavor of finding friendships as an adult. This is not the end of the podcast, but this is the end on the section about friendships. And so in order to remain true to a pattern, I found a quote about friendship by a gentleman named Vittorio Alfieri. I'm sure I butchered the name. And it says, the talent of making friends is not equal to the talent of doing without them, which I interpret as 
there really is no talent in doing without friends. That's just someone not willing to use their talents to make them. That's my interpretation anyway. You can make up your own interpretation. Now, I am going to talk about codependency. I think this is a topic that can go on and on and on forever. And I will start and it'll just be something that gets brought up over and over and over again. First things first, codependency refers to being involved in an unhealthy relationship generally with the people closest to you. The term codependent became pretty popular as it re- or is pretty popular as it relates to family members of addicts and substance abusers. And it has grown to include other types of dysfunctional relationships, but it started with it started being used most regularly inside of the addiction area of therapy and whatever. So it is, okay, so today's understanding of codependency is defined as a relationship addiction. Okay, that's a pretty heavy word, but I'm just quoting a definition that's in this article that I'm reading. A specific relationship addiction characterized by preoccupation and extreme dependence, whether it's emotional, social, and sometimes physical dependence on another person. So that's kind of the definition of codependency. There has been a lot of talk about codependency being part of the diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, affectionately referred to as the DSM. And it's not. The closest thing they have is something called Dependent Personality Disorder. And Dependent Personality Disorder differs from codependency in that someone who has Dependent Personality Disorder is generally dependent on lots of people, where a codependent person is pretty specific in who their dependency is in relationship with. And so that's kind of the defining characteristics of codependency. So to summarize and not get too much in the weeds, codependency is a psychological or mental health concept that refers to people who feel extreme amounts of dependence on certain people in their lives, generally close people in their lives. This includes feeling responsible for their feelings, feeling responsible for their actions, it is not recognized as a as any kind of separate personality disorder including in the most recent version of the DSM but it does appear to be a distinct psychological um construct scenario way of being and you can sort of tease out your tendencies by looking for some specific correlations with 
the potential for codependency. These are not universal. Also, these are on a spectrum. Because you feel one of these or experience a few of these or have these in your life occasionally, it does not mean you're codependent. So nothing is meant to be all or nothing, and nothing is meant to be everything. So just take a deep breath and listen to some of these things and see what comes up for you. Low self-esteem, family dysfunction, anxiety, stress, the inability to express your emotions, poor boundaries, not being able to say no, having or feeling the need to control circumstances or others, poor communication, fixation on negative things and or mistakes, people-pleasing, the desire to be liked by everybody, recognizing a compulsive need to always be in a relationship, being afraid of abandonment, feeling like you need to take care of people. Those are all signs that you may operate with some codependent tendencies towards your close loved ones. This can be parents. This can be children, partners. These are generally the relationships where codependent behaviors expose themselves. A lot of codependent behaviors are present themselves in relationships as, quote, love, unquote. And I put it in quotes because... It's easy to think that we're doing things that are codependent and actually harmful to and with another person because we love them. I manage my children's lives because I love them. I hide things from my partner that will hurt her because I love her. I, coming from any point of view, male, female, parent, child, I don't tell my mom how I really feel because I don't want to hurt her. I manage my children so they get along as siblings. These are codependent behaviors that may or may not rise to the level of the psychological dysfunction of being a codependent person. So I hope that makes some sense. While I am not trying to give you more to worry about, I am going to suggest, and I will leave some links in the show notes that you check out maybe some brief online codependent assessments 
the ones I will link to are free. Generally, they are 20 to 60 questions. It's all self-report. Whether you operate from a place of, oh my gosh, I don't want to be codependent or I'm not codependent, whatever your place is, this is good information. It's self-reflective. It helps you be honest about the kind of person you are and what your personality traits are and how big you are or how small you are in your relationships, how you parent, what your expectations are of your kids, whether you are asking your children to meet your needs because they were not met in other relationships. It's just good information, okay? It doesn't have to be about codependency because we all operate from that place to some degree in some of our relationships. So I'm going to leave you some um, self-report tests. They're questionnaires, they're easy things, and it can give you an idea of where you are and how you might be able to begin to reflect on what actions you take that either increase this sense of codependency or decrease it. If you operate from a codependent place, but you don't know you do, you're probably really stressed out and really anxious. You probably feel like you micromanage the people in your life. You might feel like you can't say or do certain things because of how someone else might react. You might feel responsible for your kids' emotions or your spouse's feelings. You might try and hide things or downplay things so as not to upset someone. You may feel like they can't handle truth to some degree because they might reject you or they might show too little or too much emotion. These are all codependent thoughts and not particularly useful. So I'm not going to get in the weeds because we will do more podcasts about codependence, but I'm going to talk about some different areas where you might be experiencing some amount of codependent behaviors. And they are maladaptive patterns relating to denial, self-esteem, low self-esteem, compliance, avoidance, and control. And so I'm going to talk about some patterns that you can look for, and I'll make this as succinct and simple as possible. So codependent patterns that exist in the maladaptive strategies of denial, meaning denying how you feel or denying the reality of an experience. So denial, maladaptive, codependent patterns include denying or playing down or not being honest about your feelings. The flip side of that, where you are operating from a healthy adaptive strategy of relationships, is where you own and accept 
your emotions as relevant and necessary to the health and well-being of the relationship. Number two, a codependent pattern in the area of denial would be lacking empathy for the feelings or needs of others. Empathy, I'm going to connect this to perspective taking. So for example, if you are a parent of a child, um, let's say your fourth grader comes home and has had a really, really horrible day. They didn't get their homework done. You knew they didn't get their homework done. They got in trouble at school. Their best friend told them they thought they were stupid. Somebody you know, stole their snack off their desk and they come home completely down and they're cranky and they're hard to be with. And your reaction is, I told you so. It serves you right. You knew you were going to get in trouble for not doing your homework. And if you were just a better friend, they wouldn't have called you a name. And I've told you a hundred times not to leave your snack on your desk. There is nothing about that interaction which is empathetic or taking the perspective of someone else. A healthy, adaptive behavior is feeling and expressing compassion. Validate their frustrating day. So you would say, I am so sorry that that's what happened this morning when you didn't turn your homework in. That must have been very frustrating. And it probably hurts your feelings a lot when someone calls you a name. And I'm really, really sorry that you didn't get your snack today because somebody took it. That is a healthy, adaptive strategy where you are acknowledging someone else's experience. Okay, number three, denial. Struggling to identify with or recognize your own feelings. And that is pretty common, I think. I think there are people who work at it and who are more in tune with the way they feel than other people. And this is not about emotional reactivity. This is just about being aware of how you're feeling. So the adaptive strategy in relationships is being able to distinguish between a thought and and an emotion. Because a thought is actually nothing. It doesn't mean anything unless it can be proven to somebody outside of your own head. It's just a bunch of words floating around up there. Emotions, however, affect the way we behave. And so it's important to understand your emotions as they relate to interactions and your relationships so that your behavior is congruent with someone who is not codependent. Okay, so codependent patterns in someone with low self-esteem would look like, there's three of them, so I'll go through all of them. One is difficulty or inability to recognize or ask things that you need or require. So 
that doesn't matter if it's something physical, if it's something emotional, if it's something spiritual or mental. It could be a self-care day. It could be help taking care of the kids. It could be an apology. It could be almost anything. If you are afraid to ask for a need to be met, you're probably operating with a little bit of codependent behavior. Again, none of this means you're a codependent person. It just means that on the spectrum, this is representative of a codependent behavior. The positive or the adaptive strategy is being self-sufficient and self-confident where possible. So meeting your own needs to the extent that you can. And when you need help or something, you are able to ask for it in a healthy, communicative way where someone can actually respond. Number two is where you struggle where you have a hard time to establish appropriate boundaries with others. We've talked about boundaries. I'm not going to belabor this one. But the adaptive strategy of someone with reasonable self-esteem would be to set and maintain healthy personal boundaries. Number three in low self-esteem is needing other people's approval for what you think, how you feel, and how you behave as more important than yours. I don't know that that particular sentence made sense, but you believe that other people's approval about your thoughts, emotions, and behaviors are more important than yours. The adaptive strategy would be self-confidence and respecting your own views and then maybe getting confirmation or validation from someone else but you don't need approval. This is really, really big for adult children who are trying to find, this is really big developmentally for children, young adults who are trying to find their own way in the world. And being able to hold on to thoughts and emotions and behaviors that they value despite parental disapproval is an incredibly healthy developmental stage in the life of parents and children. Super, super, super hard. Oh my gosh, it's so hard. But it is absolutely imperative for healthy development. Okay, codependent thought patterns as they relate to compliance, meaning basically just going along to get along. Okay, so the maladaptive is neglecting your own needs and wants to satisfy others. I had one of my kids say the other day that she was given an exercise in one of her jobs to pretend to care about something. There are people, and I know this because I am one of them, who care about very little. Like when it comes to the day-to-day decisions of things, where to eat dinner, what movie to go to, um, what time to start this, what time to get home, whether this should be done first or that should be done first. And that is okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Until you, if you are the kind of person who begins to feel like your voice doesn't matter, you probably should check to see whether you actually had a voice or were using your voice. So codependent thought patterns as it relates to compliance is to finally pretend to care about something and then operate from that place and say, oh no, I want to go to this movie. 
and let your voice be heard instead of just thinking that someone else always has a better opinion than you do. So the adaptive strategy would be to value your wants and needs when someone else makes a request. Do you want to go here? Do you want to go there? What time do you want to go? All those kinds of things. They're simple, but they're ways to practice not just being compliant for compliance sake. The next one in compliance is when you compromise your own personal beliefs or values in order not to make somebody angry, in order not to have a disagreement, or in order to prevent feelings of rejection or abandonment. So you go along with somebody's something so that you can have friends. Young, um, not young adults, teens, peer groups, this happens all the time. The abandonment of values, personal standards, and beliefs in order to be accepted in a friend group. I would imagine adults do it too. So the adaptive strategy is upholding your own personal values and beliefs, even when other people don't approve, even when you get made fun of, even when you lose a friend or two or don't get invited to an activity or have some sort of loss because of it. You hold on to it anyway. Okay, the other one is having trouble expressing your vo- your views, your thoughts, or your emotions when they are different from somebody else's, okay? If you are married and you and your spouse are having a discussion and maybe for the first time in 15 years, you realize you don't believe the same thing about this one topic because it's never really come up, it might be pretty scary to say, I hold a completely opposite view on this issue than you do. It's a simple thing, but it actually is kind of important. Again, this is, these things don't have to be big. We're just trying to assess where we are in this kind of self-assessment of codependent tendencies as opposed to living our best lives. So the adaptive strategy would be to respect and appropriately and communicatively, that's not that's not the word I want, but to appropriately express your personal belief even when it differs from someone else's. Culturally speaking, we are we are incapable of doing this. This we have lost the art of disagreement, which is a tragedy. So to the extent that you can begin practicing it in your own families, in your own relationships, in healthy ways and bring it back so that the world can um regain some sanity as it relates to values, different opinions, emotions, all that kind of thing. Okay. Codependent thought patterns as they relate to avoidance. So we'll do, again, there's three. We'll do the maladaptive strategies and the adaptive strategies. Do you, are you critical and do you tend to judge other people's beliefs or actions? When I look at that one, I look at myself and I, my answer to that will, my answer to that is, well, of course I do that. And so I don't know if your answer is going to be, of course I do that. I'm going to put a parenthetical and say, critically judging others' beliefs or actions in your own head or your own mind is one thing. Because if you keep it to yourself, you have the ability to, with some amount of self-awareness and 
perhaps some time and space, even if it's just a few seconds, you are not likely to speak out loud those thoughts or beliefs in a critical, you know, being critical of someone else's thoughts and beliefs. So the fact that you might do it in your head a lot is not really an issue of codependence per se, but if you act on it and behave in a way where you are the kind of intolerant person who has to speak up about how other people are wrong about what they believe or how they're acting, then that's a maladaptive pattern of codependency as it relates to avoidance. So the adaptive strategy is obviously being accepting and open to others' opinions and beliefs. Now, this is not necessarily a big thing. This can happen in your families. This can happen between two adults who are parenting and one parent grew up one way and the other parent grew up another way and you have different ways of of dealing with kids and toddlers and teenagers and young adults. And as you're learning these things about each other, you might have a tendency to feel critical. You might have a tendency to judge someone else's actions as it relates to something as regular in your day as the way your partner parents. And it could be anything like that. So pay attention to how you are relating and interacting in your everyday relationships. All right. The second one in avoidance is repressing your own emotions and wants so that you don't feel vulnerable. Again, think about this one. Keeping yourself emotionally small so as not to disrupt the uh, symbiosis or the I don't know what word I'm looking for. I'm always losing words. So that you don't mess up the equilibrium of the house, repressing emotions, not advocating for something that you need or want. And here's the thing. We need and want different things at different times. If you've been married for five years and for five years you've not needed something, and then you've had a few kids, or you got a new job, or you moved, or you had some friends move, or any kind of disruption to your social system or your lifestyle, you might need different things in year six, seven, and eight. And to come back to your spouse or your partner and say, I I need, I realize that I need this from you. You might get resistance. Your partner might say something like, well, you never needed that before. And that feels like a shutdown. It feels like a slight. It feels like you didn't have a safe place to advocate for yourself. And so because you may have had this experience in the past with maybe your parents or caregivers, you don't feel safe expressing your own emotions. And so you repress this. Well, that is not a particularly healthy way to deal with your life as it relates to relationships. The adaptive strategy or the way to be not dysfunctional is to trust and value your own emotions. 
recognize that you have needs. Even if you didn't have that need six months ago, it's okay to have it now. And then acknowledging the vulnerability that it takes to reach out to someone and say, I need this new thing to happen in our relationship. Can you be open to that? And you might get shut down. You might get shut down more than once. And I don't think that is something that needs to create more maladaptive strategies. You just have to dig deep and try again because the work of relationships, healthy relationships, is the greatest work you will ever do. All right, number three in avoidance is you have difficulty communicating when you are on the cusp of a confrontation or a disagreement or just getting into a confrontation or disagreement. You probably shut down. And when you shut down, instead of being direct and forthright, you become kind of wishy-washy. Perhaps you start to backpedal on something that you were talking about. You just don't have the confidence to push through the difficulty in a confrontation or a disagreement. The adaptive strategy is using good communication to express yourself clearly, honestly, without equivocation in an effort to decrease the potential for conflict or disagreement, or alternatively, resolve them appropriately. So uh, I can't think of an example. I'm sure you guys have all kinds of things popping up for you. The next category is codependent thought patterns as they relate to control. Maladaptive is trying to persuade other people what to believe or do. Again, huge issue between parents and children. Huge, huge, huge. Even when we don't think we're doing it as parents, we probably are because we are not giving our kids a sense of their own independence. And of course, we're doing this out of love because we love them and we don't want them to hurt and we don't want them to hurt themselves and we don't want them to make bad decisions. Um, I, it can happen in friendships all over the place. Society, it happens all the time. And the adaptive strategy is to be open and accepting about what other people think. You don't have to control other people's viewpoint. You don't have to control how other people feel, even if they're feeling a different way than you. This also can be as simple as um, expressing to your best friend that you feel really sad that someone didn't come out to dinner with you and your friend says, oh, you shouldn't feel bad about that. They had this to do and this to do and this to do. What your friend is doing is trying to persuade you not to believe or think or feel sad. We don't need to change the way people feel. It is perfectly acceptable to let any person from an infant to an adult, an elderly adult, feel whatever they want to feel, behave in the way they want to behave as it relates to their feelings barring self-harm or danger to themselves or another person. 
we don't need to change people. So the adaptive strategy is being open and accepting about the way people see things, about the decisions they want to make and the feelings that they have about certain things, even if they're different than yours. This happens all the time. So think of the last time you tried to shut down someone's feelings or the way they were thinking about something. All right. The other one is believing that others can't look after themselves. Like for some reason, we believe that our spouse or partner cannot take care of his or her own schedule. We don't believe that they will pick the kids up on time. We don't believe that our kids can get their homework done if we are not yelling and screaming at them the whole time. We do not believe that they will accomplish what it is they are supposed to accomplish or they felt they've said they were going to accomplish if we do not micromanage them. Believing that others cannot look after themselves. That generally indicates a little bit of over-involvement in the relationship. Appropriate behavior is appreciating that in most cases, people can navigate their own issues. If you are talking about children, you give them as much freedom as you can. You give them as much autonomy to look after themselves as possible. Two things will happen. It will make your life much easier in the end might be a little harder at the beginning, but it'll be easier in the end. And you are teaching your kids resiliency, independence, and letting them know that the world is a safe place for them to go out and try things, to take care of themselves, and to fail in a place where they are safe and supported. So you do not need to control other people's lives. And so that is number two. Number three is insisting that other people fulfill your needs. I can't be happy without you. I need you to go with me. Are you sure you want to do that? Because we won't be together. Not allowing other people to fulfill their needs, whether that's Internal or external is a, tends to be a codependent behavior. And the flip side of that is expecting other people to meet your needs. You have to make me happy. You have to fulfill my needs. You have to make sure that I don't feel insecure. You can't leave me or I won't feel loved not a good way to interact in the world. The adaptive strategy is to seek out resources, support internally and externally to meet your own needs without demanding it or expecting it from others. Being in relationships means we try and meet each other's needs to the best of our ability, but we do not do it in a way where we are demanding more from them than they are capable of giving or more from them or giving more to them than they are actually asking for. This is a hard balance and it's going to look different for every relationship. And so there's no one way to describe this, but if you are trying to get your needs met by manipulating or by imposing or because you are insecure, then you are probably doing it from a codependent standpoint. So the 
opposite of that would be to say, hey, I need to figure out how to fulfill myself in this area. I can't rely on my wife to be my only friend. I can't rely on my kids to be my support as I go through this terrible divorce. I need to find other support. So reaching out for help to other people when necessary and taking it from external sources if they're offering it graciously and without obligation. Okay, those are just a few issues related to codependent behaviors. I'm going to stress again, I'm not diagnosing anybody as codependent. It's not technically even a diagnosable, based on the DSM, disorder. It is, however, a ginormous tangle of boundary issues. Codependency can only exist because you don't have or you don't respect boundaries. They go hand in glove, literally. So if you need some refresher about boundaries, get your computer out, do an internet search, go back and listen to the boundaries podcast that I have already done. And we will continue with codependent behaviors and probably boundaries and maybe values and possibly mindfulness and what it's like to be a people pleaser and all kinds of other things that run around in my brain about what I can do a podcast about. In the meantime, take seriously how you interact in the world. Don't look at other people to figure out what's wrong with them before you take the time to figure out what's wrong with you, because you'll never be able to do a damn thing about what's wrong with them. But you can do a lot to manage and take care of and mitigate what's wrong with you. And that goes for boundaries and codependency. So thanks very much for Sending in your questions. Thanks for the opportunity to do this podcast. I am really enjoying it. I've had some really nice feedback over the last couple of weeks. And so thank you for those to those who are listening. I really do appreciate it. And that is hard for me. I am not a good appreciate. I do appreciate people. I just don't value my own work that well. And I'm working on that. So Thanks for helping me because when you reach out and tell me that you like it, I actually have to take that in, internalize it, acknowledge it, and feel good about it. It's pretty awesome. Terry Cole said, love and codependency can feel a lot alike. They are not. Have a good week.